What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hey, Jimmy, best to you and the family for Easter. I'm off tomorrow night. Uh, I'll catch you this weekend, uh, but always a pleasure to work with you, and I wish you the best. Be well, brother. I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to primetime. Tonight, we're going to unpack the most uniquely bizarre scandal I have ever seen in politics. And the criminal consequences seem to grow by the hour. Now, first, it was GOP Congressman Matt Gates is under federal inquiry for six months. Gates says there is nothing to even inquire about. He denies any and all allegations. Okay. Then we learn it's not just an inquiry. It's an investigation. And that investigation is into Gates's dealings with a potentially underage woman. And it was then that the allegation was that he was involved in the trafficking of that underage woman. Now it is that there may be multiple minors involved, cash and drugs involved as well in that behavior. The latest investigators may be trying to tie a sitting congressman to a fake ID scheme in which someone he apparently knows well was indicted. Here's what we know. A witness has reportedly provided evidence linking him to a man named Joel Greenberg, this former tax collector in Seminole County, Florida, who was an odd sort. He was arrested, indicted, charged uh, in criminality, including sex trafficking of a minor and fabricating fake IDs in furtherance of the same. In a text message that was shared with a CNN source, Greenberg confirms he was in his office, quote, showing Congressman Gates what our operation looked like. They have video of this meeting on a weekend evening. We're also learning that the federal investigation of the representative includes whether campaign funds were used to pay for travel and expenses for child sex trafficking. And get this, everything I just said is merely half of the equation. The other half is one of the most bizarre extortion schemes, if that's what it is, I've ever heard of. It is unlike anything a member of Congress has been tied to in recent memory. And the other half that we'll talk about makes even less sense. We have the former deputy director of the FBI here to dissect a case, and I'm betting he's never seen anything like this either. But we have to start tonight with the case that is all too real and true, and it is about George Floyd's murder. It was a damning day for Derek Chauvin, the former officer accused of murdering Floyd. The biggest exposure was Chauvin's supervisor saying he was not immediately made aware of the knee choke Chauvin used on Floyd. Why is going to be the obvious question. Also, two paramedics who were on the scene and said they could see from afar that George Floyd wasn't breathing and likely dead. If so, the question is, why couldn't four up officers who were up close see the same? Why didn't they make efforts to reduce the pressure or to revive? One of the EMTs literally had to ask Officer Chauvin to get off of Floyd in order to treat him and said he had no pulse when he arrived. And he was the one who had to remove handcuffs on a man with no pulse. 
so that he could treat him. Very disturbing video shown in court of Floyd put in the ambulance after paramedics came. But as I mentioned, in terms of the criminality in the trial, what Chauvin's supervisor did not know could be the biggest clue of the day. Listen to this recording played of Chauvin taking a call from that sergeant in his squad car, asking him about what just happened. This was played at trial today. Hello, 230 here. Yeah, I was just uh, gonna call you and have you come out to our uh, scene here. Um, not really, but we just had to had to hold the guy down. He was uh, was uh, <clears throat> going crazy. Wouldn't go in. Shut off for the moment. Wouldn't go in the back of the uh, <clears throat> squad. What will the jury make of the demeanor and tone of Chauvin and what you just heard? set against everyone saying they knew Floyd was dead. Does he sound like he was aware that the man that he was just holding on the ground under his knee is dead or may be dead? So that is the accused murderer himself, leaving out very important details to his boss. He didn't tell him, I had my knee on Floyd's neck for nine and a half minutes and they think he's dead. Listen to what the sergeant expounding on the rest of the call had to say. I believe he told me that uh, they'd had uh, tried to put uh, Mr. Floyd, I didn't know his name at the time, but uh, Mr. Floyd in the car. Uh, he'd become combative. I think he mentioned that uh, he'd injured, it was either his nose or his mouth, a bloody lip, I think. And uh, eventually, uh, after struggling him with him, uh, he'd suffered a medical emergency. Is that the extent of what you can remember the defendant telling you about this incident? I think that was basically it. Did he mention anything about putting his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck or back? No. So nothing about the knee. And for those out there saying, hey, you know, Chauvin shouldn't be smeared as a cop until this is over. He was already fired for being a bad cop. This isn't about that. That issue has been decided by the police force. It's about whether or not what Chauvin did was a substantial causal factor in why George Floyd died. The sergeant believes Chauvin and the other officers used excessive force. Listen. Do you have an opinion as to when the restraint of Mr. Floyd should have ended in this encounter? Yes. What is it? When Mr. Floyd was no longer offering up any resistance to the officers, they could have ended their restraint. Let's take the day to the better mind, former federal prosecutor, Elliot Williams. Good to see you, brother. Is that the biggest moment of the day? That was pretty big um, because, you know, look, a lot of people have weighed in, witnesses, people on the scene, you and me have weighed in on what should have happened, what you now have is an insider in the Minneapolis Police Department, a, a, a uniformed officer. And so that was that was very powerful. Um, you know, the question was, should they have? If you notice, his answer was a little more conditional, saying they could have, but still, that was probably the biggest. And moreover, Chris, you know, this question of the reasonableness of the actions of the officers is the first big factual dispute in this trial. Everything else has been pretty. Everybody's in agreement. You know, George. Floyd was there, uh, Derek Chauvin was there, and George Floyd died, and you know they're filling in the gaps around there. But this question of what constitutes reasonable police force, uh, force to be used by a police officer, 
Uh, and this is the first salvo in that debate. And I think we're going to see some more from the defense on it as well. The apparent indifference in Chauvin's tone, it, could that mean as much to the jury as I'm suggesting it may? And you think it, it portends that they'll have to put him on the stand? Well, uh, you know, I don't know if anything pretends that it should put him on the stand just because that's an incredibly risky decision, particularly in a case like this. Um, so, you know, it's an open question. Uh, so, no, I don't. I, I just you, you want to avoid the question of putting a defendant on a stand in a controversial case. And I just uh, probably not. Mm. Even though you will then expose the jury to only him showing no real panic, no real worry about the fact that the guy is dead, no regret, no remorse. So put it this way, Chris, it's not slam dunk evidence, but the prosecution will certainly use it to argue as evidence of intent. Number one, that he wasn't fully forthcoming. It's not, you know, he's not lying. He's not being, well, I'm not going to characterize his statement, but he was not, certainly wasn't being fully forthcoming with his supervisors when he talked on the phone. Mm. What the prosecution will say is that um, he was in an attempt to conceal his actions. What he did not do was present full information to his supervisors, which goes to intent. It goes to the question of whether he knew he was doing something, if not wrong, unlawful. Um, now, it's just a question of whether the jury believes it. Juries are all over the place. I've dealt with them. You just never know what's going to resonate with them. And so what you see the prosecution doing is putting forth a number of arguments and hope or a number of different factual bases for them to, to agree on and seeing what sticks. Having uh, George Floyd's girlfriend on the stand to talk about their addiction. I want to play uh, some of it yeah. for the audience. Okay, when they get it, we'll put it up. But the prosecution did this. And yep. why would they have the, girl, the, the former girlfriend get on and say very emotional things uh, about Floyd, but that, yes, we both struggled with opioid addiction? Uh, here's the sound. They have it I now. think it's... Yeah. Okay. We both suffered from chronic pain. Addiction, in my opinion, is a lifelong struggle. Uh, so... It's something that we, we, we dealt with every day. Going forward to May of 2020, was there a time when um, you thought he might be using again? Yes. George Floyd's not on trial. Why bring this up as the prosecution? I think, I think it's two different things. Number one, it's going to come out anyway because there's a significant question as to what the cause of death was and were there substances in his system. It's far better to, for the prosecution to do it. It's almost, again, like saying, Mom, I broke the vase, as opposed to having Mom come home and see the vase. It's called fronting it or just sort of letting out the sting from the testimony if you can control putting it out there. So that's point one. Point two is it's almost a, a more human thing, which is that there's a big shift in America or even the world about how we talk and think about addiction right now, think, seeing it almost as a sickness far more than something to be criminalized. And what the prosecution is doing is humanizing George Floyd. There are jurors, I assure you, who are either struggling with addiction themselves or at a minimum have members of their family, loved ones, friends, family who have struggled with either alcoholism or opioid addiction or whatever. And this makes George Floyd seem real and human to them. And so, it, you know, it's almost a two pronged strategy um, and it very well may work. Mm. Uh, last interesting point. The defense tried to play off uh, the urgency 
of why you would put a knee on somebody's neck, uh, raising the question with the paramedic, hey, you know, sometimes when you get a call and somebody's coming out of a drug haze or what they'll call an excited delirium phase is starting to begin, you want a cop there to use a suppressive measure just like this, don't you? And the paramedic said, yeah, sometimes, sometimes you could want that. What's the play there and did it work for the defense? Oh, it, I mean, it worked for a second. They, they sort of drew blood because they suggested that, well, maybe he did have an overdose and then emerge um, and could have emerged thereafter and become violent or so on. Then on redirect, the prosecution brought up another witness to say, hey, you know, could this actually happen? Could someone emerge um, from, from an overdose and be violent? And she said, yes. However, the guy was dead at the time, pretty much. I mean, she didn't use those words, but she said, did he have a pulse? And the question was, no. So the odds that he would have awakened, become violent, were, were incredibly slim. And so for that split moment uh, in the trial, the defense did succeed on making the point, but it got blown out of the water by the prosecution on the redirect examination. And that, Chris, is the very purpose of redirect examination. It's sort of, you clean up the mess after the defense has dirtied up your witness a little bit. And they did, and the prosecutor did it beautifully right there. What did his condition appear to be to you overall? In lay terms is the answer. I thought he was dead. Elliot Williams, thank you very much. I'm not going to see you tomorrow. Have a very blessed Easter, you and your family. Rebirth and renewal. In this context, I can't wait to have you back to renew our analysis of this uh, ongoing trial. Be well. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. All right, so look. You got to stay on this trial. It's going to mean so much to this country, no matter what the verdict is. But now, when it comes to politics, these Matt Gates allegations, I've never even heard anything like this. And again, you have to, every politician saying, let the investigation play out. Yeah, you should say that every time. Of course, we have to have the investigation play out. We don't know anything for a fact, but the accusations are of a character and nature I've never heard before. The newest, and this is a real problem for Gates politically, We're going to talk about why in a second. Misconduct involving nude photos, okay? The problem is not just the photos. It's who made them known to the media and to other colleagues. We may be seeing something right now we haven't seen on the right in a long time. We'll discuss next. All right. We have to start unpacking this Congressman Gates situation, and that is not easy, okay? He is definitely under investigation by the Justice Department, and we do know it certainly involves sex trafficking allegations, plural. Sources tell CNN he showed nude photos of women he said he'd slept with to other lawmakers. He may have also shown the images on the House floor. Now, There's no sign that's part of the federal probe. I get why the media is all over it. It's incredibly salacious. You could argue maybe it's poor ethics. To me, it means something totally different, okay? To me, it is about where his party may be on him, okay? Let's bring in two absolutely better minds about what's going on here, okay? Because the politics of this uh, is getting very ugly very fast. Let's bring in Dana Bash and former Representative Charlie Dent, who understands the, poly, uh, the, the party politics very well. Dana, first, have you ever heard of anything like this, even on the suggestion level? 
Well, <laughs> it depends on which part of the this you're talking about is, right, Chris? Because as you said, uh, there are different allegations now. One is, is you know, probably the most serious, definitely the most serious for him and for his party, which is the criminal investigation that appears to be going on, according to sources first reported by The New York Times. And then tonight, our colleagues uh, on Capitol Hill who cover Capitol Hill are reporting about uh, the, 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 the pictures of women he allegedly slept with, showing them to colleagues on the House floor, as you said. And look, there's so many other layers, as you said, to unpack. But here's the thing to remember. This is uh, not a person who has a deep or wide reservoir of support among his own Republican colleagues, Chris. And so I would not be surprised if this uh, moves rather quickly, uh, even in the tr Trump world or even post-Trump world where uh, lack of shame it doesn't really matter anymore. In this particular case, Republicans uh, in the leadership might think it's it's a different uh, different kettle of fish because of what we're talking about and who we're talking about. Right. But they do look they have said the right thing this time, which is if there is a process going on, you got to respect the process. They have to respect the investigation. Now, the photos are something different. But, Charlie, this is my take on it. Uh, I'm not as impressed by the photos uh, as some. I don't I don't believe in the purity uh, of our politicians the way uh, some do. But what I'm saying is this is proof that his own went bad on him uh, because he did not show those photos to people from the left. Otherwise, we would have heard about this a long time ago. And that's unusual in your party. What do you make of it? Well, what I make of this is uh, I agree with Dan that this man has very serious problems, the most serious of which, of course, is the Department of Justice criminal investigation on the sex trafficking. But these pictures are a problem in that this could force an ethics investigation, uh, which would mean that members of Congress are going to be subpoenaed and deposed, called as witnesses to answer questions about these pictures. You may remember in the last Congress, uh, a congressman named Katie Hill resigned over pictures that were, I, I believe, revealed by a, an embittered or ex-spouse uh, that were far less serious. But she resigned over this. And I do think the, pr the time comes where, yes, He's entitled to due process. But when a member becomes an embarrassment or uh, because of misconduct, alleged misconduct or a scandal, pressure will build on Kevin McCarthy to have a conversation with him to resign. You know, Nancy Pelosi had to force out people like Anthony Weiner and Eric Massa. John Boehner forced out people. Paul Ryan forced out uh, Trent Franks, I believe. So the pressure much, is going. It's much less common, though, Charlie. I mean, you, you mentioned Katie Hill. That's the left. The left has a very different standard and a different level of aggression. You guys just were OK with the QAnon kook lady. Um, you know, so there's a pretty high bar in terms of what you guys will tolerate when it comes to bad conduct or stupid conduct. Dana, do you think that Gates uh, may wind up paying for the QAnon lady because that kind of used up all the energy the Republicans had to deal with something this outlandish? They have uh, probably a, a deeper well of uh, energy for outlandish than we realize. Maybe we do realize it, given what we've seen over the past five years. Uh, but because we're talking about a couple of things, we're talking about allegations, which, yes, have to go through due process of a minor uh, and dealing with all kinds of maybe uh, multiple uh, of, minors of issues, maybe multiple minors. That's exactly right that I think what uh, the former congressman is getting at is that his leadership could be looking for an out. And by saying, oh, look, 
uh, there could be ethics violations right. on the floor of the House of Representatives, that could be their out in trying to push him out. Uh, and, and, you know, Charlie Dad can tell you he's had experiences in on the ethics committee uh, yeah. members. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, watching leadership say you're out of here. And um, yes, it doesn't seem to be the kind of thing that we have seen in recent years uh, with Republicans. But this does, again, feel different, especially since you, you alluded to this, Chris. This is a time where Republicans feel like when they're looking at their number one goal, which is to take back the House and the Senate, but obviously we're talking about the House right now, they feel that they are in good shape on the the, the basics for conservatives. Democrats are big spenders, too much money, too, too you know, big government uh, and the culture wars. This is a distraction. And so the question is, how long do they want to let this distraction play out? in that ultimate goal, especially for somebody who really angered a lot of people in his caucus by going out to mm. Wyoming and uh, and talking about the fact that Liz Cheney should resign, uh, taunting her in a very open, very theatrical way. Charlie, let me give you the last word quickly about what you think it could look like in an ethics probe in Congress if the behavior is limited to these photos you were showing them on the floor of the, of the House. Could that be enough? That could be enough to get him to resign because, uh, again, there, there will be uh, subpoenas and depositions. Members of Congress will have to come in as witnesses. But the whole probe goes away if Matt Gates resigns. And if you're Kevin McCarthy and you're trying to reclaim the majority, the last thing you want to be talking about is one of your own members, you know, who's uh, you know, alleged to have engaged in you know, uh, misconduct while you should be talking about the issues of the day. So I think John Boehner and Paul Ryan had many conversations with members who left, resigned early because of their alleged misconduct for matters far less that were not even criminal in many cases. So bottom line is uh, they're going to have to deal with this and they're going to have to deal with this fast. This guy has no reservoir of goodwill among his Republican colleagues. And frankly, they're experiencing schadenfreude moments right now. They're gleeful about his, his, his dilemma and they want him out. Well, we'll see. And like Dana suggested, we may see soon. Charlie Dent, Dana Bash, happy Pesach. Happy Christmas. Happy Easter. Happy, happy everything. Easter. <laughs> Take care. All right. I'm going to bring in a former number two at the FBI. Why? Because the politics part is the easy part. OK, this federal investigation is getting deeper and deeper. And I only told you half the story. There's an entire other half that Gates is telling about an extortion scheme, which he says is the real crime here. Next. So in the break, which sadly is where most of the good TV is made, uh, we were trading anecdotes, Charlie Dent, Dana Bash and now about all the things that we've heard about in Congress. Nothing like this, nothing, nothing of this magnitude of these suggestions against Congressman Gates. And hey, I'm the first one to say, let the investigation proceed. He may have given him an out with these photos. His party can now go bad on him and maybe force a resignation with nothing to do with the other investigations. That's a favor. But let's get some legal perspective on just what we're dealing with here. Somebody who understands this kind of investigation very well, Andrew McCabe. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you, Chris. Now, first, you ever heard of a member of Congress being attached to anything like any of the suggestions that we have on the investigative side? No, no, I, this is a, this is a new low. Um, and it's, it's an incredibly bizarre story with so many uh, facets to it. I've never heard one quite like this. So it went from 
an inquiry to an investigation about someone who may be underage because the federal age is 18 if that person is taken across state lines for sexual purposes. Uh, a lot of states, you know, it's 16, 14, whatever it is, 18 federally. So if she's 17, it triggers it. Then this other guy, Greenberg, is put in the mix. The former tax solicitor from Florida, he was indicted, arrested, indicted, charged with a trafficking scheme that was using fake IDs. And now somebody says from his office, yeah, Gates was here on a weekend night looking at IDs with him on video. How deep can the waters get? Well, not only does that witness say that Gates was seen on video, but then Greenberg allegedly texted the witness and confirmed it in a contemporaneous text. So it's it, that seems uh, pretty credible to me. And interestingly enough, it's an allegation that was brought apparently to the authorities back as early as January of 2020. So this is very, very serious. You're, you know, sex trafficking from a relationship with one minor is a serious offense in and of itself. One that could, if convicted, could, could expose you to uh, a significant prison time and registration as a sexual offender, but participating in some sort of conspiracy to manufacture uh, licenses to facilitate that sort of activity, God, it just makes it a hundred times worse. So this is a this case is getting bigger and more complicated by the minute. Now, if Matt Gates is right and says there is no 17-year-old, the person does not exist. If that is the case, wouldn't this investigation have ended at some point? I mean, it's been going on for you know. A year? That may be Gates, is it? We'll patch him right in. No, I'm kidding. I like your ringtone, though. Sorry, dude. No, it's all good. (laughs) The idea of if I were to come to you and you had a case on me into that, I said, she doesn't exist. This person does not exist, never happened. Does it take this long to clear that up? No, not at all. In fact, Chris, uh, the allegation, uh, wherever the information came to the FBI, maybe through the Greenberg prosecution, maybe Greenberg is providing information to the investigators, who knows? One way or another, they got the allegation about Gates and this 17-year-old. They don't open an investigation on that allegation until they've identified who that person is and confirmed that they were, in fact, 17 at the time of the alleged relationship. So for uh, Congressman Gates to come out and say that that person does not exist, he's really backed himself into a very uncomfortable corner that I think the authorities will probably be able to prove is, is false pretty, now, pretty easily. The other half of this is Gates has created what, at a minimum, is a pretty decent distraction. It's worked well with a lot of people in the media. No, 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 you're missing the ball. This is an extortion scheme. I'm working with the FBI, me and my father, because these guys are trying to extort us with something to do with uh, Mr. Levinson, the guy who's missing in Iran, who the U.S. believes um, is now gone, is dead. Um, And the FBI is investigating it. What I don't understand is, how do you guys, how does the FBI open up an investigation into an extortion scheme, which even as described by the Gates family is an extortion. If some former feds say to you, hey, I heard about the investigation. Give me 25 million to get Levinson out of Iran. Uh, When we get him out, I get the reward. I'll pay you the money back. And it will really look good for you on the federal level with this other thing you have going on with the women. That's not extortion. Why investigate this? No, it's Yeah. So it's not extortion. As you know, Chris, extortion requires both a demand and a threat. And in the facts that you just laid out, the ones that we understand may have taken place here, there doesn't seem to be any sort of credible threat there whatsoever. But let's put that aside for just a second. If, if 
the congressman and or his father came to the FBI and said, we believe we're being extorted and laid out these, the interactions with these folks who are, I guess, advocating on behalf of Bob Levinson and his family. The first thing the FBI would do is say, well, would you be willing to wear a recording device to go to a meeting? Because they want to see if you can actually capture evidence of those conversations where a demand and a threat would take place. So the fact that recordings were made is not, uh, it's not uh, strange here. It's the exact way that agents would try to get through to the bottom of this allegation. And even if, and again, I don't get the extortion thing. I got to be honest. I don't even know why the feds would be interested in it. It seems just so bizarre. But even if that's all true, it doesn't mean that the other investigation doesn't have any merit. Because just because these federal, these former feds knew about the investigation doesn't mean that that investigation isn't real into the women, right? Both things could be true. That's absolutely right. And it's really important for your viewers to understand that these two investigations, in a way, don't have anything to do with each other. Whether or not the Gates family is being extorted has nothing to do with whether or not Matt Gates had, a, had an illegal uh, sexual relationship with a minor uh, months and months ago. That matter has been un under investigation since at least the end of the summer last year. It was briefed to the Department of Justice, including Attorney General Barr, it was given the green light by DOJ. This extortion thing is something entirely different. I, I as you believe, I think that this is a, a matter of, don't look at that, look at this, look at the shiny object over here. It's a great distraction technique, but the FBI doesn't have any other recourse. They have to look into it to determine whether or not anything's there. It sounds like that's what they're doing, but from the documents we've heard about and seen so far, really hard to see this thing as a, as a prosecutable extortion. And on the other hand, this inquiry was started under Bill Barr. Um, so you would think That's if anybody, right. if any office was going to give Gates the benefit of the doubt in terms of starting something like this, especially with this kind of prurience attached to it and the high felony value, it would have been then. Andrew McCabe, thank you very much. I know we're going to yeah. learn more. And when we do, I will ask you back, brother. Until then, <laughs> have a happy Easter. The best for you and the family. Thanks, Chris. You too. Be well. All right. Our other big story, the George Floyd murder trial. All right. This is a trial fundamentally about systemic inequality and in a specific lens is policing. The issue of Floyd's past drug use came up today, emotional, his girlfriend very forthcoming about her own life and her own struggles as well as her departed beloved. The prosecution wanted you to hear this. Why? What does Van Jones think about this and what it plays to as a dynamic in our society? Next. Every day of this George Floyd trial has been very difficult to watch. And I can only imagine what it's like for people of color. Emotional, raw, the pain, witnesses reliving trauma, watching a man die and feeling powerless, helpless. And then today, Courtney Ross, intensely personal. Her boyfriend was George Floyd. She opened up at the prosecution's request about their struggles with drug addiction. However, I wanted to start it with her recounting how she met her boyfriend, George Floyd. Floyd has this great, deep, southern voice, raspy. He's like, sis, you okay, sis? And I wasn't okay. 
I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting for my son's father. He said, um, I said, well, can I pray with you? Van Jones joins me now. Uh, I learned something today uh, from someone else I'm blessed with in my life. And uh, I really want to make sure that this has got to be so hard for you to watch because sure, it's one man, it's one incident, it's one officer primarily in this trial. But this speaks to so much for so many people of color, whether or not you're living in the hood in Minnesota or not. And I know it's got to be so hard, Van, and I just want you to know I, I, I see that and I, I feel for you in this. Yeah. Well, look, I, I think your, your level of, of, of empathy and your understanding that this is playing differently for different types of people has come through a lot, and, and it means a lot. And, and I think that what I saw, you know, that's so human. And, and we keep talking about this is humanizing. It's humanizing. Why do we have to keep talking about humanizing? because so much of the narrative about black men is dehumanizing. Uh, literally, the, you have this kind of idea, uh, and they, they can show it in brain scans. You see an African-American man, people have been so trained to expect the worst that people automatically see a weapon uh, just in the color of the skin. And so, as painful as it has been, Chris, to watch this, there is there's a blessing in how human all of these people are on stand talking about just meeting the guy they loved and, 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 and that kind of stuff. Uh, I think it's been very, very difficult, but uh, I hope that people are watching this and realizing all we're asking for is the right to be human. We just want the right to be human. We don't want to have to be superhuman, perfect people, uh, you know, who've never made a mistake in order for us to be, have the benefit of the protection of the rule of law. We just want the right to be human. The guy... Uh, had an injury, he, he got on opioids like a million gazillion other Americans. That's not a reason to say his life should be thrown away. So what do you think about the prosecution um, strategy here of bringing on the girlfriend? Uh, the girlfriend says, yeah, we struggled with opioids um, and me too. And this is what it was like. And yeah, I think he was using again. The strategy is to front run it. Uh, because they're going to make George Floyd's addiction certainly a factor on the forensic side. What did you make of this tactic? <clears throat> I'm glad they did it, um, <laughs> because uh, being addicted to uh, something like opioids, again, millions and millions of Americans have found themselves in that situation. I had a friend who had a, a tooth pulled, and then they gave him a jar <laughs> of painkillers and wound up uh, with a major, major life problem. This is happening to Americans all the time. So get it out there, uh, give it some context, let it land human, uh, and then let's have that you know, be a part of this story, but let's not that, let that be the whole story. If you hold it back, if you don't talk about it, then suddenly it looks like you got something to hide, and when the other side springs it on the jury, they're like, oh, well, this is some big deal. Listen, uh, uh, this is not, uh, uh, at the end of the day, something that you can't understand in your own family. And he, all, all we're asking is, if it were your relative who uh, got hooked on opioids, uh, maybe wasn't making good decisions, 
after three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, six minutes, would you want the cop's neck, knee still on his neck? That's all we're asking. And I think everybody would say if it was my family member, the answer is no. Right. What do you say every time I do one of these segments? I get hit with this barrage of, why didn't you mention this about him? Why didn't you mention that about him? You know what he did to this person? You know what he was known for? And you know what he's really about? This is the real George Floyd. Why are you making him a saint? I've never heroized the man. I have said that who he was is irrelevant unless he was that person in that moment. If you're a bad guy, if you're a tough guy, if you want to hurt people and you're trying to hurt the police officer, it's going to go one way and it's going to be south. But what do you say to people who have in their minds that it matters that this guy was no good guy and that the media just heroizes him, but he was no hero. Well, the thing is, you don't have to be a hero to have the protection of the law. You don't have to be perfect to have the protection of the law. That's the great thing about our country is that we're all equal before the law. Saints and sinners alike are equal before the law. And so if he was the worst person ever born, And if he was fighting like a madman, once you got him down and once you have him in handcuffs, guess what? Now he is afforded the protection of the law and the police don't have all we're asking. Again, it's it's, it's so humiliating to ask for such simple things. The right to be human, the right to be protected by the law, for the police to obey the law. Uh, You just you don't have the right, by the way, in our system. If the police thinks the person is that terrible, keep them alive and get them in front of a jury. The, the police officer's job is to get the person in front of a jury. It's not to, uh, to do a summary execution. And it's certainly not to, to use force so far in excess of what's necessary for the arrest that someone dies. And again, as you said, and I think very, very well and clearly over and over again, it doesn't have to be the only factor. But if you have excessive force as a, as a causal factor or a major factor, that's unlawful in our system. And thank goodness, thank goodness it is. Why do you have people who call themselves patriots and say they love this country and they swear by the Constitution in this case to say that someone is beneath the protection of the law? We shouldn't have to be superhuman and saints and we shouldn't be treated as subhuman. We just want the right to be human. And that's why, again, the humanity that is just pouring forward in this trial as children and elderly people, and mixed martial artists, and and EMTs all come forward and say, this was inhumane. This should not have happened. Uh, And I think that if people could just get past the the politics of it and just deal with the humanity of it, we could be in a better place. I agree with everything you said, uh, except in this case, there is no, well, how was he during the altercation? You cannot reasonably make the case, not that you were, But the suggestion that, well, Floyd, during this altercation, he asked for it. No, he didn't. And the tape makes it clear. That is not a legitimate argument. The defense hasn't even argued it yet. And I don't think they will. That, well, look what he did to the officers. Remember that, everybody. Just because somebody feels it doesn't make it a fact. Van, be well. Have a happy Easter. We'll be right back. Same to you. Republicans in state legislatures across the country are ramping up voter suppression efforts. Five restrictive bills have already been signed into law, 55 more in 24 states moving in legislatures. 2022 is obviously top of mind for Republicans looking to dash a repeat of 2020. Battlegrounds, Georgia, Arizona, they flipped to deliver Biden his win. Why? Huge turnout by blacks and Latinos. 
Dems have shown just how well they are driving up votes in Texas suburbs and urban centers. That's why Texas, Georgia, Arizona have introduced the highest number of voter suppression bills. In fact, today, Texas State Senate advanced a new bill that would ban drive-through voting and limit extended early voting hours. Why? It would also add restrictions to how officials handle absentee ballot applications and how other assist disabled voters. Why? They also want to prohibit the offering of food or water to voters waiting in line. At least three federal lawsuits have been filed by civil rights groups. The president and other voting advocates are calling this what it is. Jim Crow 2.0. The argument is simple. Tell us how it's about safety and not suppression. We'll be right back. I want to thank you for watching. I won't be with you tomorrow night. A blessed Easter, rebirth and renewal for those who it applies. And you know what? No matter what you believe, it applies to all of us. We could all use rebirth and renewal right now. CNN Tonight with the big star, D. Lemon. Well, right you now. would think like during, you know, this holiday season, the news would get slow. But there's, listen, we're, we're dealing with what's coming out of Minneapolis and also what's coming out of Washington, D.C. Allegations at this point. But to have a sitting congressman entwined and entangled in this, it's, it's really, really something. We have another chapter in your next book called I've Never Seen Anything Like It in My Lifetime. We have mm-hmm. it with the voter suppression. You and I didn't live through Jim Crow. Um, we have it with what we're seeing about the push against systemic inequality. We've never seen anything like this in our lifetime. Right. And now on the political side, we've never seen anything like Trump and the reduction of the standards that his party supposedly held dear. And this could be the apogee of it. Absolutely. It's good to hear the lawmakers say, hey, we should wait for the investigation before we proclaim what to do with them. That's nice. It's nice that they're respecting due process all of a sudden. But I'm saying I've never heard of a sitting member of Congress ever having these questions asked. This is heavy duty. It's heavy duty. And you're right on as I was watching because I was preparing the same thing. If if what is alleged is true, really serious. The, the first part of it, right? And then the second part that came out today, if, if that's alleged, if what's alleged is true, showing pictures. That's to, a political problem. That's, that's a political and problem. One be, is a legal problem, the other a, one's a, a political problem. For getting rid of gates. Or it could see if the deny, deny, deny shiny object that worked during Trump, if that still works, if that's still, that strategy. I'd be shocked still if up. he resigns. And if yeah. they say, hey, you can't be showing naked pictures or whoever on the, I think he'll Allegedly. be like, yeah, okay, I'm sorry, yeah. but I'm not resigning. Allegedly. Vote me out. And yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it is. It's an allegation. If he didn't show the pictures, he should be saying that right now. Um, but you've got to be careful because if you really push the limit with other members of Congress and they go bad on you, which I've never seen on the right. Yeah. I haven't seen in this modern era. We know it has to be coming for the right because... If he had showed pictures like that to members of the left, they would have said it right away. Mm-hmm. So his own are going bad on him. They didn't even do that with the QAnon lady. No, not at all. So she's still standing by him. So is Jim Jordan. So, you know, and I'm getting some heat from people saying, well, hey, wait a minute. You're not talking about the extortion scheme enough. It doesn't make sense to me. I know it's being investigated. But even if everything Gates says about these people trying to extort his dad, it has nothing to do with the other investigation. Yeah. So it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't make any sense. I don't even understand how it is extortion based on their own reckoning of the situation. Extortion has to have a threat and a demand. And I don't it, know that it exists. It, their own it, has, it doesn't have either, at, at, least, at least what he is claiming, because that's yeah. not what is alleged. That's what he is alleging. He is not alleged. 
I'm just saying, He's if I'm going to give you a cover part. story, Don, and I say yeah. it's extortion, it's going to sound like extortion. It's gonna <laughs> I promise you that. <laughs> well, we'll see if he, you know, he's been on your show. Let's see if he, you know, picks up the phone and comes back. I tried Thank to you. call the number I have, and it said... Uh, the the it, number you have dialed is not in service. It no. says this person is not taking calls at this time. <laughs> yeah, well, again, and we are having fun here, but it is innocent until proven guilty, so we shall see. Thank you, my brother. Oh, absolutely. Due yeah. process all the Due way. Due Lemon, I know I'll see you this weekend, but I love you. And rebirth and renewal to me means recommitment to what matters. Family that I choose matters to me as much as my own. That's yeah. you, brother. I love you. I'm going to come, and we got some palm fronds for you, all kinds, you you know, because you need to lay hands, all kinds of stuff, whatever we can do to help you. (laughs) I'll lay some hands. I'll talk to you. (laughs) Thank you, sir. Love you. Uh, This is Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.